My money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's the rich man's world. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. Good afternoon. You're listening to WSCA FM 106.1, streaming uh, on the World Wide Web at www.wscafm.org. And my name is Barry James Dyke, and you're listening to The Economic Warrior Show. It's a beautiful day here in New England. Nice to see some sun after all the rain we got here, and it's been very cold. And I'm very, very excited today. We have a great guest around uh, 20 minutes past the hour. We're going to have a personal friend at this point, and also just a great guy, the Honorable uh, David M. Walker. He was the former controller of the United States. He ran the GAO. He's just an outspoken guy, and we want to talk to him about the current state of affairs of U.S. finances and, and, and what to do about your retirement and how to protect that. We have David. Are you on the line? I'm on, Barry. How are you? Good, David. God bless you. It's always good to hear from you. Uh, my girlfriend, Celine, says, by the way, to say hello to you. And hats off to you and Mary, and thank you so much for being here today. Dave, people have tremendous respect for you uh, uh, within the country, and even in my own industry, the financial service industry. Uh, you're, you're known as a truth teller as the first order. And By the way, for our listeners out there, if you want to find out more about David, please go to his website. David is deficitranger.com, am I correct? That's correct. Okay. And um, all right. So, David, I'm going to ask you the big question now. You've been a longtime player in Washington. Everyone, all the elites predicted that Hillary, it was her election to lose. It changed everything. Were you surprised by the election, or do you think Washington knew what was going to happen? Well, it was hers to lose, and she lost it. Uh, but I travel a lot, a lot around the country and, frankly, around the world. And it was very clear to me that there was a lot of discontent in the country. Uh, you know, about 65% of Americans felt the country was headed in the wrong direction. Uh, they were tired of nothing getting done in Washington. Uh, there are clearly growing gaps between the haves and the have-nots, and the middle class is being squeezed. Uh, and so I felt that there was a chance for Trump to win, and that if he got within 3% uh, of Hillary Clinton uh, on the last poll, that he had a very good chance to win, and that, that proved to be the case. Uh, you know, I think, you know, frankly, the the uh, the Clinton people pretty much thought they had it in the bag, and and obviously didn't. Hmm. Uh, and you know, some of the Trump people, quite frankly, were surprised that they did win. Uh, but now they're trying to move expeditiously to try to put together an administration and to move from campaign to governing, and those are very very different things. And so I just hope that people can, you know, no matter who their preferences were recognize that once the people decide uh, we need to support the president, no matter who that he or she might be, uh, that's in the interest of the country, and that's what we need to do. You know, and that's the whole thing, and I'll, I'll be uh, being a critic of finance. I feel the exact same way, you know, David. we got to, you know, the, the people have spoken, they voted for him, so let's support him, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, get the country back on track. Because, uh, which kind of leads me into my next question for you. For those of you who don't know about David uh, Walker, you kind of, 
reached the spotlight, David, when you were first uh, on the 60 Minutes. It was in 2007 on the uh, the State of the Nation with the debt. These are still major problems. Do people in Washington know it's have, have they addressed this debt problem at all? No, they haven't effectively addressed it. Uh, our deficits have come down from 1.4 trillion a year in 2009, which was the all-time high. Down to last year, they were about uh, uh, 450 billion. Uh, but now they're headed back up. Uh, they're expected to be 500 to 600 billion next year, uh, and start rising again because of no demographic trends and rising health care costs. And frankly, neither one of the candidates laid out a comprehensive and integrated plan to get uh, debt to GDP down to a reasonable level within the next 20 years or so. And that's what we need to do. Uh, but let's wait and see, you know, what um, President-elect Trump does in his first budget. Uh, he's clearly stated what some of his priorities are. Uh, at the same point in time, he hasn't addressed some of the other issues that are going to need to be addressed to accomplish the objective. Um, you know, we need to grow the economy. That means comprehensive tax reform. That means regulatory relief. Uh, we need to be able to do something about the Affordable Care Act. But we also need to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff on what programs are working, which ones aren't. And we need to, uh, to reform our social insurance programs to make them solvent, sustainable, and secure. We've got to do all of those things. And you know, you can't do them all at once, but we we've got to do them all. Yeah, the the dis uh, the Social Security Disability Program. If I'm correct, you probably know more about this than I would. They've already essentially been tapped out. They're already insolvent. Am I correct? They do some. Well, what, what happened, Barry, is that they were going to go. Um, the trust fund was going to go to zero, and uh, which would have meant they wouldn't have been able to make all the claims or pay all the claims as they were due. But what they did for the second time in history. They reallocated part of the payroll tax from the retirement uh, and survivor's income program to the disability program. So oh, so that's how they did it, huh? Well, they robbed Peter to pay Paul, right? So the, they didn't solve the problem. We, we clearly need disability reform more than just from a financial standpoint. Believe it or not, the number one cause of disability today are people in their 30s that go on disability for emotional reasons and stay on for many years. Candidly, that's not what the program was designed for. And so we're going to have to end up you know, coming to grips with uh, what makes sense for today and tomorrow with regard to these disability programs. Really? I, di- I didn't know that. So mental nervous, and because I'm a benefits guy, old benefits guy, so you're saying the largest claims now for disability are actually people who say, you know, kind of— The largest new claims. New claims. The largest new claims that are coming on to disability are not for— Forms of disability. It's for emotional disability. In many cases, frankly, those people also have dependency problems. And then we've got our welfare system uh, that, quite frankly, is back to the point again where it provides significant disincentives to work uh, as well as disincentives to marry to marriage. Uh, so you know, we've we've got some fundamental issues that we've got to come to grips with and try to be able to improve the incentives, transparency, and accountability mechanisms to make sure we're taking care of people that need to be taken care of, but also to prevent abuse. These entitlement costs, as they say in Congress, uh, are these the kind of the biggest things that are driving the deficit, David? Yeah, I, I prefer to call it mandatory spending, of which is you know primarily social programs, uh, you know, various subsidies and interest on the debt. 
I don't like to use the word entitlement, is because technically they're not entitlements. Yeah. Entitlement entitlement gives people the impression that they can't be taken away, and that's not true. I mean, there's only one thing uh, that's left that we're, that's guaranteed by the Constitution, and that's federal debt uh, and the interest on the federal debt. Nothing else is guaranteed, and the Supreme Court has ruled on that with regard to social insurance programs. They're important programs. We need to reform them to make them solvent, sustainable, secure, but they're not entitlements. Let me ask you, David, the government budget, how much it goes to goes towards paying interest costs on the debt on an annual basis as a as a ballpark figure? Oh, I want, I want to say it's around uh, 5% right now, okay, which is not as high as it has been historically, uh, but now we're still adding debt, and interest rates have started to go up. And in fact, Congressional Budget Office anticipates this growing expense uh, over the next 10 to 20 years will be interest on the debt. And, of course, you and I know that you don't get anything for that. No, you don't. I mean, you're you're a great patron. I love this country. It's still, you know, I, I look at this, David, and I just, you know, I don't know if you concur with this at all, but it seems to me that America is almost it's an empire in decline because when you look at, you know, we have all this debt, you know, unsustainable debt. We get incredible speculation in the market still. You got the growth of, um, you know, the 1% and the one-tenth of 1%, the growth of elites. Are we an empire in decline, do you think? Well, I think America is a great nation, but I do think that there are a lot of warning signals going off. Uh, and that I think we've strayed from a lot of the principles and, and values uh, on which the, the country was founded. Things like limited but effective government, individual liberty and opportunity, personal responsibility and accountability, uh, rule of law and equal justice under the law, fiscal responsibility and intergenerational equity, just to mention a few. We're violating those principles, and we need to be able to return to those basic values uh, and quit living for today uh, and not worrying about tomorrow. I mean, you know, so, so uh, you know, I think that we're at risk, uh, but I definitely don't think that it's too late to turn it around. Uh, and hopefully we'll end up confronting a number of these challenges within the new administration. You're not going to deal with them all at once. Uh, it's taken us a number of years to get to where we are. It's going to take us a number of years to get to where we need to be, but we need to start sooner rather than later so we can get the miracle of compounding working for us rather than against us. Amen on that. Amen on that. And uh, I, I agree with you, Dave. You know, I've, I've been fortunate, too. I've traveled around a good amount around the—not as much as you, but I've traveled around— uh, and I still love this country, I, and, I, and I love where I live, and I love New England, and I love what I do. One of the things which steps in my, my craw, and of course I'm, a, I'm an old benefits guy, is that the one of the things which is the state pension plans, uh, the, the, the government pension plan train wreck. I mean, you're in Connecticut, David. Uh, it's, 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 it's the basket case. It's, yeah. gone, it's gone from one of the leading states in the union 25 to 30 years ago to add or near last place in too many categories, including financial condition, competitive posture, uh, state of the critical infrastructure, uh, et cetera. And it's gone to the, from the point where it was a significant net inbound state to where it's now a net outbound state. And many of the financial challenges associated with Connecticut and other states don't have to do with debt. They have to do with underfunded pensions, unfunded retiree health care obligations, uh, and in many circumstances, including in Connecticut, you know, we actually, on a total compensation basis, pay state workers much more than people in the private sector who 
to work for large employers with comparable jobs. And that's not equitable. That's not affordable. That's not sustainable. And it's going to have to change. Yeah. And, you know, I've been following this, David, you know, I live in New Hampshire and I didn't realize, but I I went on the state's retirement plan. The state, the state retiree uh, population in the state of New Hampshire is actually the largest pool of employer in the state of New Hampshire, my little state here, which I love. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with this new guy called Open the Books, Andrew Adam Adrensky. Have you ever heard of him? I don't know him, but I've heard of him. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to get him on the show at one point. I, you know, I was just floored. He came up with this, and he's one of these open, he's a fact guy. He found that 21,862 uh, public employees in California have retirement incomes, David, in excess of 100000 a year. Oh, yeah, and, and that exists. And in addition, you can also have circumstances, and this doesn't happen a lot, but it can happen, where people actually make more money in retirement than they did when they were working because uh, they end up getting automatic indexing of their retirement, whereas they don't necessarily get automatic indexing of wages. Uh, you know, And so you know, there's a, there are a lot of situations where there are abuses. I mean, you need to have a reasonable retirement arrangement for public sector workers, especially for yeah. those that aren't covered by Social Security. It's very important. But but you need to make sure that they're competitive and com- comparable to major employers in the private sector. You need to make sure that they're funded uh, so that they're, you know, affordable and sustainable. Yeah. With the, in California, I mean, it, it costs, over, I think, over $3 billion a year just to, to fund this 21,000 employees, and we're not talking to the rest of them. And, uh it's it's crazy, uh, Dave. You know, the th- one of the things which people, as you know, my research and full disclosure, folks, uh, David was kind enough to do the forward to my latest book called Guaranteed Income, and that's uh, sold throughout the country and sold overseas as well. You you have an incredible background in, in terms of. Uh, can you tell the the public uh, your background? You were a public trustee for Social Security. Am I correct? Well, I've been fortunate. I've been over twenty years in the private sector. I ran a worldwide line of business. Uh, for one of the world's largest consulting firms, I'm now a senior strategic advisor for PricewaterhouseCoopers, doing government transformation and financial restructuring. But I've also been control general of the United States, assistant secretary of labor for pensions and health for the U.S., head of the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation for the U.S., trustee of Social Security and Medicare for the United States. You know a few other things and. Uh, so I've been fortunate that you know I've run organizations in the private sector, public sector, and not-for-profit sector, and uh, you know I, I've been fortunate. You have obviously have excellent background, and and the funny thing is, Dave, is that uh, so people you know same to me, everyone you know you know has their four hundred one ks and their IRAs and the whole thing. My opinion, David, on this stuff, a lot of the stuff is just at one big bloody casino. I'm going to have one of the top economists in uh, the UK, uh, John Kay, to talk about this as well, but. Uh, people really need to have some safety and some peace of mind in retirement, don't they? Well, that's right. You have to keep in mind Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is one of the things that I remember from undergraduate school. The most fundamental thing is self-preservation, which is uh, self-safety and security. And when you deal with retirement, uh, you know, people are living longer, uh, and, you know, they they want to have reasonable assurance uh, that they're not going to outlive their retirement savings. Uh, and only God knows how long we're going to live, and you know God's not telling us. So yeah. it's something you have to keep in mind uh, when you're planning how much to save and, frankly, you know, h- how you ought to uh, receive distributions uh, 
you know, once you are at retirement age. I mean, un- unfortunately, all too many people, especially people that are now covered primarily by defined contribution plans, will end up taking a lump sum and spending a lot of that money or, or not, you know, not adequately anticipating how long they're likely to live uh, in determining, uh, you know, how to take distributions or how to, you know, how to invest their funds or how to convert their funds in ways that can, um, that can mitigate against longevity risk. Yeah, and that essentially comes down to one of the ways um, we've all done it is the uh, people buy annuities. But you're a guy who knows. You believe in them, am I correct? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at um, a lot of members of the Federal Reserve Board, if you look at a lot of CEOs in the private sector, you'll find that a lot of them end up purchasing annuities for, you know, part of their retirement. In addition to that, from a personal standpoint, I've done the same. Uh, Now, annuity rates aren't very high right now. No. They're likely to get higher uh, as interest rates start to rise. You know, one of the things that you need to consider is uh, longevity risk. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, annuities are one way that that you can end up, you know, uh, mitigating that risk or eliminating that risk. Yeah. The funny thing, I've been doing this long enough, uh, David, where I, I find when people, once they have it set up, you know, they, it's peace of mind. I've had uh, one guy, a client in, in Maine a couple of years ago, uh, he had a pretty large uh, retirement balance, and he said, Barry, I don't want to look at this stuff anymore. I just want to drive around the country in my RV and see my grandchildren. And he's, you know, he's happier than, you know, than a new puppy. And uh, so, you know, so the thing is people don't really understand, but your Social Security is actually an annuity. Would you, would you agree? Oh, it is. It's, a, it's you know, it's, it's an annuity. It's uh, a de- defined benefit annuity, which is indexed for inflation. Uh, and by the way, you can buy private sector annuities that are indexed as well. Uh, in some cases, you know, indexed based upon a predetermined rate. You know, one of the ones I have three annuities. One is indexed at a predetermined rate, uh, and I have another one that's actually indexed to inflation, whatever inflation might be. There are some options, and I think I guess what I've learned in the market, and I'm not against the markets uh, because you know uh, I, I believe in capital allocation, but what I've found, people just generally, they don't make money, I don't know, in the market, uh, David. They, they make market investing themselves in their careers. But generally, I don't know, unless you know someone, I don't know anyone. Uh, who, who, do you know anyone who, who's actually made all their fortune trading in the, in the market? All of their fortune? No. <laughs> Substantial fortunes? Yes. But I also don't believe in the efficient market theory anymore, especially for the individual uh, investor. Uh, you know the uh, you know we've got uh, way too much uncertainty, way too too much volatility. Uh, the past is not prologue with regard to you know investment returns. You know whether it be an individual or frankly whether it be a pension fund or other type of institutional investor. Yeah, and uh, as you know, my research and uh, talking about the annuities, uh, which is amazes me, is that. Uh, it was actually General Motors who essentially said, "We, you know, we're not in this pension. We can't manage our retirement risk anymore." And they want to spend twenty-eight billion dollars on an annuity. Well, they didn't, they didn't want to be an insurance company. They wanted to be an auto manufacturer. Uh, but in addition to the pension cost, they had huge health care cost, including retiree health care cost. Uh, and they actually, you know, the average cost of a vehicle 
you know, you know, had more health care cost embedded in it uh, than it did steel. Really? Yeah. But the uh, so one of my thoughts, David, is, and this is I don't have all the answers. I'm not God, but the so I'm seeing these big corporations, uh, and it's not just in the U.S. But we're seeing companies like uh, TRW, Bristol Myers Squibb. Monsanto and and in the UK, I couldn't believe the uh, British Telecom and uh, British Airways. And uh, matter of fact, I'll, I have a copy of my book here, just to kind of kind of people in the know who do this stuff. Uh, all these major corporations are using um, insurance companies to transfer risk. Today, people are more. I mean, when I grew up, my father uh, was an executive for an insurance company. Actually, when he died. Uh, he had a pension, and then it went to my mother, and she never had to worry about anything. So whole the whole risk was really transferred to the insurance company. Uh, today, there's none of that. You know, we really need to. I think. I think by you using annuities or, or corporations using annuities and life insurance products, they're really transferring the risk because they're doing it over large numbers of people. Am I correct? Well, that's right. And they're also wanting to, you know, they want to focus on their core competencies or uh, or, or their main line of business and the cape of businesses, or frankly, as an individual, you know, they're wanting to focus on what's most important to them in life. Uh, and in many cases, that's not investing. I don't know uh, what your thoughts are, David. You've obviously been through the, um, I know in my lifetime now, I've seen the savings and loan crisis. I've seen the dot-com meltdown. I saw the subprime mortgage crisis. And now, and I don't know if only God knows we're over another bubble, but it really, from from all the indications I see, um, there we are in the you know a middle of another bubble. I mean, I don't only God knows what's going to happen, but Vanguard, um, and I've been actually been communicating with Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, about this. Is that Vanguard uh, analyzed Morningstar data, and they said that people were were more exposed in their four hundred one ks and their IRAs today than they were in 1999-2007. And we all know what happened after that. Did, does it seem to make any sense to you? No, I hear you. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of volatility. Uh, and uh, only only God knows. <laughs> yeah, and now the thing is, now you're down you're down there in Fairfield County, Connecticut, okay? Where, that's where all, all these financiers live. And, uh, and I'm not one of them. You're not one of them, but dude. Yes. That's why we love you. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you live in a beautiful area, in a beautiful vineyard home. It's beautiful. The real estate, I don't know how it is in Fairfield County, but if you're in suburban Boston now, David, uh, you can get, if you're getting a uh, town, just even a town or two outside of Boston, you're cut, talking six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars for a cracker box home. And you know, I think the median price of a, a home in, uh, in the Silicon Valley is right around that as well. And so we're seeing, you know, the same thing up in, you know, uh, Canada. Canada is actually worse. Are you seeing the same type of real estate inflation down in Fairfield County? Well, real estate prices have not been going up in Connecticut, uh, and, and in part because of we're a net outbound state. We have a lot of wealthy people who are uh, leaving the state. Now, that's different from whether or not housing is expensive. I mean, uh, housing is expensive, but the pricing of housing varies dramatically in Connecticut based upon which town you're in. You know, we don't have county government in Connecticut, one of only two states that don't have it. You know, we've got about 170 cities and towns. Everybody's on their own. There are significant differences with regard to the schools, with regard to the property taxes, 
uh, with regard to public services. You know, and there are also significant differences between, you know, how far you are from a major metropolitan area, whether it be New York or Boston or Hartford or wherever it might be, although I wouldn't consider Hartford major. Uh, so, you know, it's expensive, uh, you know, in, in uh, Fairfield County in particular, uh, although it varies significantly based upon where you live. But prices have not been going up. Well, they have here, David, you know. Well, maybe I should have bought there a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but who knows? It's always twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hindsight is always correct, but uh, yeah. So you're you're not seeing it, but but this is if you look at pockets of the country, you know, Boston, New Hampshire, where I live, southern uh, uh, Seacoast, New Hampshire. It's you know the real estate. It's just it's 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 it's. Gone. Well, of course, GE just announced you know within the last you know year that they're moving from Fairfield, Connecticut, to Boston. So. You know, just another example of how you've got, you know, companies and, and individuals leaving Connecticut, going elsewhere, and, and, and frankly, Boston is a very vibrant city and uh, is a is a is a tech tech center, an innovation center uh, in the United States. You know, you're close to the the ground in Connecticut down there. Why would why did GE leave? You know, Fairfield was it over? It must have been over taxes or something. It wasn't just over taxes. It was the fact that. You know, the government in Connecticut historically has not been very business friendly. Uh, in a, you know, it, it overregulates, uh, it overtaxes, uh, and it's not just with regard to, um, you know, the, the, the corporate situation. It's also with regard to, you know, individuals. We're the only state in the union that has a gift tax. We have the highest estate tax uh, in the union. And uh, in addition to that, the state has huge unfunded retiree health care obligations and huge underfunded uh, pension plans, uh, and those will translate to higher taxes over time, absent some type of restructuring. Uh, you know, it, it lurches from an annual budget crisis to another annual budget crisis, uh, and uh, they're not treating the disease. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons. I think one of the other reasons is because, you know, Boston is a very vibrant city, uh, it, they have access to potentially obtain better talent, uh, you know, in Boston. Uh, and, in fact, I think there are a number of people that are not going to leave Connecticut for as far as living, but they're going to commute to Boston when the headquarters moves up there, you know, you know by plane or helicopter or whatever. But uh, so those are some of the reasons. If people want to find out more about me, go to BarryJamesDyke.com. But, you know, in my latest book, it's funny we're talking about GE, is that, General Electric actually terminated their their defined benefit pension plan in 2010 for their salary employees, but what I, I put in my book is that actually the t- the top 3,600 uh, execs at uh, GE actually have their own um, uh, not only their own defined benefit p- uh, pension plan, but they also have their own SERP or uh, supplemental executive retirement plan, which are all funded yeah. by life insurance yeah, and annuities. Yeah, supplemental executive retirement plan, right. This, so this is the whole thing, and, and Jeffrey M. Elson, this is in the proxy statements. Um, uh, people don't believe me, go to the sec.gov, but the, uh, I think Jeffrey M. Elts, uh pension annuity is worth $70, 71000000 million. So it's... Um, it's, Must be nice. It's, I, I know. Where do I sign up for that, uh, David? You know, <laughs> uh, somehow I don't think there's a. I don't think there is a sign up sheet. <laughs> what I'm, I'm just trying to do, David, is just we, we can just educate people and have them take more personal responsibility. Don't you think? 
Right, and I'm going to need to get going, Barry, but the bottom line is this. I mean, you know, don't follow a bad example of federal government or state government with regard to your finances. You need to plan, save, invest, and preserve for retirement. You need to consider, you know, uh, what do you need to do in order to make sure you don't outlive your retirement savings when you get to retirement. Uh, And you need to recognize that eventually the federal government is going to end up restructuring its own obligations, including social insurance programs, bad news flows downhill. So you have to do what you can to take care of yourself because while the government is still going to have Social Security and Medicare, you know, in, in, you, know, uh, you know, at some point, you know, it's going to have it indefinitely, uh, it's not going to be the same as it is today. And people are going to end up probably having to assume more responsibility than than they're thinking, especially in the area of health care. So plan for it and act accordingly. Well, David, I can't thank you uh, enough for being with us today. Um, you listen to WSCA-FM uh, 106.1 uh, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and if you're on the web, it's www.wscafm.org. And uh, my guest today has been uh, uh, David M. Walker, the former Comptroller General of the United States. He's a wonderful guy, a truth-teller. Please visit his website, uh, www.deficitranger.com. And my name is Barry James Dyke. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. And David? Well, Barry, I'm mine. I'm also on Twitter at, at Deficit Ranger. At Deficit Ranger. Yeah, and follow David on at, at Deficit Ranger. And um, there's a lot to be said because that's how Donald Trump got elected, huh? Using Twitter. <laughs> it sure helped. <laughs> yeah, it sure helped. So God bless you, David. Uh, my best to Thanks, Mary and, and everyone else down there. And, uh, We'll be back next week. All the best. Happy holidays. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio. Engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the